Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12, but let's begin reading with verse 8. Peter says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Lord, we pray as David did in the Psalms, deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. As Isaiah said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're returning to 1 Peter chapter 3, and the verse where we pick up today in verse 10 begins with uh, a conjunction, that word for. Therefore, it cannot stand alone. What we're considering today is support of what Peter taught us last week in verses 8 and 9. These uh, attitudes, this conduct that is honorable to God, that is pleasing to God, and should be present in any healthy church, uh, these attitudes of unity, of love, of kindness, compassion, humility, and blessing are supported by what Peter tells us next. And if you notice verse 10 through 12 in your Bibles, they should be uh, either in all capital letters or uh, offset uh, in the font to set it apart from the rest of the text. And the reason that that is is because it's a quotation from an Old Testament psalm. It's from Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. So what Peter's doing here is really what we all ought to do, and that is to support our beliefs, support our teaching even in the church, not just by our opinion or by what seems to practically work, but by what God has said. Now we believe that what Peter wrote is Scripture. We believe that this letter, 1 Peter, is the Word of God. But even in writing Scripture, Peter quotes other Scripture to support his views. And that ought to be the attitude, the mindset of every Christian. Whatever we live, whatever we believe, ought to be supported by the Word of God, informed by the Word of God. And so he points us back to Psalm 34, and it begins an interesting way, these verses. He says, He who would love life and see good days... Now, who doesn't want that? Who would not want to love life and see good days? In your bulletin where the sermon title is given, we've simply put the label on this. This is the good life. Everybody wants to live a good life. And we tend to categorize our days by saying, well, we had a good day or a bad day. 
And surely all of us would much rather live a life full of good days. Now, you think about Peter's audience. We've talked about them plenty of times before. They're suffering. They're being persecuted. They're experiencing trials. And surely in our own way, not, not yet to the point that they are, but we all experience some of those things. A measure of persecution. We all endure suffering. We all experience trials. And, and when we have those days and go through those seasons of life, life it can't always be described as good. We don't always find ourselves saying, well, we've had a lot of good days. We've all had those seasons. Persecution, suffering, trials, they may make life seem grim, dark. But Christians can and should love life. We should love our lives. We should be able to look at the days that God has given us and consider them blessings from the Lord and say we have lives that are full of good days. The, the psalm begins, Psalm 34, with this verse. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And you can look at David and you say, David, you know, that's easy to say. That's easy to, to write in a poetic way that I will always be blessing the Lord. I will always have His praise on my lips. You don't know what I'm going through right now, but let me just remind you that when David wrote those words, he was hiding in a cave, running from his enemies. Yet even in, in his distress, in his trials, in his persecution, in his suffering, he could confidently say and even begin this psalm, I will bless the Lord at all times. That means when the days seem good and when the days seem bad. I will praise Him continually. This isn't living in denial. This isn't pretending like your problems don't exist, suppressing them, pushing them down, shoving them out of your mind, and just hoping that they go away if you just praise God long enough. This isn't that. This isn't the power of positive thinking. You know, I remember a few years ago seeing a, some, a video of Joel Osteen went on one uh, medical show. It might have been like Dr. Oz or something. I don't know how much stock you put into those things. But, uh, you know, Joel Osteen goes on the show and he's telling everybody that they can be well and they can be healthy if they just think positive thoughts. This isn't that. If you say, praise God, bless the Lord enough times, then all your problems will vanish. That's not what... Peter or David are, is getting at here. This is a love for life. This is a love for life that is rooted in what is good, not just in the here and now, not just in the temporal, but what is eternally good. You can love life when you look at it from an eternal perspective. Do you remember Solomon? That blessed book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 2. Here's the very beginning. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Somebody woke up on the right side of the bed. In chapter 2, he, he, he talked about his accomplishments. He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then listen, I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had told, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And then down in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says this, Therefore I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. And that is a description of life, as Solomon says, under the sun. You you look at life and you look at work and and all that, that goes on from an earthly perspective. That which happens under the sun. And it is all vanity. So what if you have a great job and make lots of money and, and have a good retirement account and own houses and property and, and have a good wife and a good kids and, and everything is great for you? So what? You're going to die and it'll be gone. In a hundred years, nobody will even know that you existed. And if they do, it'll only be because your name's carved into a stone. You can laugh, you can enjoy life and say, well, I won't try to get everything. I'll just try to enjoy every day. I'm going to laugh every chance I get. I'm going to enjoy all the pleasure that I can take in. So what? You die and that's it. One day you're going to get too old and in too bad a shape to enjoy anything. So what? It's vanity. It's grasping for the wind. And when Solomon saw this, he said, I hated life. You wonder why there's so much depression, why there's so much suicide, use of of illegal drugs, and even abuse of legal drugs? Because people are realizing that life is pointless. But Solomon comes to the conclusion in in chapter 12. You've got to get to chapter 12 to get there. But if you make it through the first 11 chapters, you get to this. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the conclusion that I've come to. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know how to make your life count. You know how to make your life worth something. You know how you can love life and enjoy it and recognize that there's something beyond the grave. It's to live for the day that you see God face to face. Fear Him. Keep His commandments. This is your duty. That's how you make your life count for something. Living for that which is under the sun will cause you to hate life and to despair. But if you desire to love life and consider your days good, you must live for what counts, not just on earth, but for eternity. So we finished last week in in verse 9 where Peter refers to those who do evil to us and who revile us or insult us. And he says, you're not supposed to return in kind. You're not supposed to return with evil. You're not supposed to return with insult, but with blessing. And so he supports that statement with this quotation from the Psalms. And you can simply break it up into two main ideas here. Watch your words and watch your actions. Watch your words and watch your actions. Verse 10, watch your words. He says, he who would love life 
and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. James had plenty to say about the tongue, didn't he? James chapter 3, he said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. And that's true. Amen. We all stumble in many things. None of us are perfect, and I think most of us would be willing to admit that. But he said, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. If you can learn how to control your tongue, then you can have control over your whole body. That's the hardest member to control. He said, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, we turn, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they're so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And those, that's true. Listen, I don't do horse riding. I don't ride anything that has its own mind. Um, I like to be in control. Uh, and even that, some things are questionable. You, you know, seeing the cars that park themselves, even scarier, they drive themselves. No way. Never. I will never do that. But he, he talks about this horse. You, can't, you couldn't control, you couldn't move this whole horse out of your way if you wanted to. But somehow we're able to put this bit in its mouth. And with that one little bit, what, you can turn that horse any direction you desire. I don't know anything about sailing. But James points out that you have these large ships. You have no power in yourself to move that ship with your own strength. But there's this little rudder on the back. And if you can control that one thing, you can control the direction of the entire ship. So James says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you can think of a time when you've just said that one thing? Maybe you didn't think about it. Most likely you didn't think about it. It popped in your head, it came out of your mouth, and as soon as it did, you regretted it. And that one thing that you said, that one spark, started a forest fire. Destroyed relationships, burned bridges in your life. Maybe you even lost your job, hurt your family, because you couldn't control that one thing for that one moment. Your tongue. He says the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. That's what God thinks about your tongue. Peter says if you want to love life and see good days... You've got to refrain your tongue from evil. He says this to add to his statement. This is a, some parallelism we see in the Psalms where the, the writer will make a statement and then uh, further his meaning by making another statement right after this. Very similar. He says, and his lips from speaking deceit. So not just do you need to keep your tongue from speaking evil, but more specifically... 
from speaking deceit. I thought about Mark 7 this week. The Pharisees and some of the scribes came to Jesus and they saw the disciples. They were eating bread with defiled hands. What do they mean by that? They didn't wash their hands. They weren't concerned about COVID or the flu or anything like that. This was all ceremonial. They found fault with the disciples. So the Pharisees and the Jews, they washed their hands in a special way. They kept the tradition of the elders and they came and they complained to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Jesus said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, how to make friends and influence people, right? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, from what they said, what, what words came out of their mouths, it sounded like they wanted to honor God. Like they were just trying to keep the law of God. We want to we please God. We want to be faithful. But Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He goes on to criticize them about how specifically they, they talk about giving their offering to God and then neglecting to take care of their parents, as was commanded in the law to honor your father and mother. But then Jesus calls the multitudes together and he says, Hear me, everyone, and understand this. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile a man. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. You see, they would have considered themselves as those who kept the law of God. They were the faithful. They were the religious. But their words were words of deceit. The things that come out of your mouth are the things that are really in your heart. Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Returning to James in that same chapter, in chapter 3, James said this, With our tongue we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. You come to church on Sunday, you praise God, you sing hymns, you glorify His name, but then as soon as someone says something against you or does something against you, you turn with that same tongue and you tear down the person who's made in the image of that same God. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No, it can't be. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. How evil is the tongue who that in one moment will glorify God, praise God, and, and bear witness to Him, and then in turn speak evil about another person. God help us all. God help us all. I, you're not alone here, okay? And neither am I.
If you want to love life and you want to see good days, refrain your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. So watch your words, but also, he says, to watch your actions. Verse 11, he says, let him turn away from evil. Let him turn away from evil. The Christian life is a life of regular repentance. The Christian life is a life of mortifying sin. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man. Happy is the man. That's what we want, right? We want to be blessed. We want to be happy. We want to love life and see good days. So, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And and we've looked at this text before. There's a progression there. You've got those who walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Those who get their advice from ungodly men. Blessed is the one who does not do that. Seek godly counsel. Come to those who are familiar with the word of God and have a relationship with God. So blessed are those who don't walk in the counsel, in the advice of the ungodly. But then the next step from that is the one who stands in the path of sinners. So now not only are we taking advice from ungodly, but we're standing with them. We're walking in the same way that they walk. And then he says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful or the scoffers. See, if you start out taking counsel and advice from ungodly men, you'll find yourself walking in the way of ungodly men. And then before long, you're sitting in the seat right beside them, scoffing those who were godly. But he says, blessed is the man who doesn't do those things. Peter says, let him turn away from evil. Paul told the Romans, was it chapter 8, that our life, those who walk in the Spirit, are those who are putting to death the deeds of the body. And if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is characteristic of the Christian life. You see, if you walk according to the flesh... If you walk according to your own desires and disregard what God has commanded, friend, you have no right to be assured of your salvation. You have no reason to be assured that you are a Christian if you walk after your own desires and do not by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Christian life is one of turning away from evil, pushing it away, constantly surrendering more and more to the control and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Submitting to the Word of God as we read, as we study, as we pray, as we walk with the Lord. He's going to progressively be teaching you, bringing things to your mind. Pray what the Psalms say. Search me, O God. Know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. I promise you, He will answer. And when he does, you must repent. That's the Christian life. Becoming aware of sin, repenting, turning to Jesus. Becoming aware of more sin, repenting, turning to Jesus. Turning away from evil. How do we do that? The second verse of that same psalm says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. 
But, but Peter, quoting the Psalms, doesn't just say, let him turn away from evil. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. So there's a negative and a, a positive. There's a don't do this. But that's not all Christianity is, right? It's not just don't sin. But the Christian life is actively, intentionally, deliberately doing good. Doing what is right. Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now we can say if you don't keep his commandments, then there's no evidence that you love him. But I believe that some of you really do love him. So Jesus says to you, keep my commandments. Do what is good. Do what is right. What does the scripture say? To the one who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So we want to love life. We want to see good days. Let's turn away from evil and do good. And then he says, let him seek peace and pursue it. You, you all know Romans twelve eighteen. Paul says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. And that's an important line. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are some people... That no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how, how much you try to reconcile with them and make things right with them, they will not be willing to live at peace with you. But, as much as it depends on you, you don't just say, oh, they're not willing, I don't, they don't want anything to do with me, I'm not making any effort there, they're not worth my time. That's not yours to decide. As much as it depends on you. As much as it is in your power, live peaceably with all men. It makes sense, doesn't it? These are just simple things, but it makes sense, doesn't it, that if we want to love life and see good days, that this should be a part of it. Because even though the list is short, these things are no small matter. Watch your words, watch your actions. But then there's verse 12. We've got another four. Four. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Did any of your parents, you who had Christian parents, did any of your parents ever say to you, even when I'm not here, even when I'm not watching you, God sees everything you do. Didn't that freak you out? I know one guy told his kid that and his kid wouldn't go to sleep at night. <laughs> he was afraid. He thought Jesus was like standing outside his blinds at his window watching him. You know, somebody staring in. That's, that could scare a kid, right? God's eyes are always on you. The, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, right? Beholding the evil and the good. That's true. That's motivation enough to live right. To have a clean life. Knowing that every moment God knows where you are and what you are doing. He sees you. But that's actually not the point that's being made here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Lauren's eyes on everybody? Well, of course they are. 
When he says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, this is, this is a blessing. This is the favor of God. It's a comfort to those who are living godly lives to know that the eyes of the Lord are upon you. Especially when you're David in a cave running away from your enemies and you don't know exactly how your life's going to turn out. Especially when you're in first, the first century and, and you're under the rule of Rome and you're being persecuted and you're enduring suffering. It's a comforting thing as a godly person to know that the eyes of the Lord are upon you. It's a comforting thing for a Christian who's going through the loss of a loved one, through a cancer diagnosis, through a financial struggle, to know that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I want to be in God's view. Because I know He cares for me. I can't get away from Psalm 1 today. The last verse of that psalm says... For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He is intimately involved in the details of your life. He knows your way. His eyes are on you. But, the psalm concludes, the way of the ungodly shall perish. Peter, here in verse 12, he says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and... Here's another blessing. His ears are open to their prayers. Doesn't the scripture say that if I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord won't hear me? Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want any barriers between me and God. When I'm in trouble and I need to cry out a prayer, I don't want there to be anything that would hinder Him from hearing me. I don't want anything in my life that would hinder my walk with the Lord. My fellowship with Him. But we have this blessing that if we do watch our words, if we keep our tongues from evil and from deceit, if we turn away from evil and do good and pursue peace, He says the eyes of the Lord are on you and His ears are open to your prayers. Now, by implication, that means to those who are ungodly, those who do not walk with the Lord, those who aren't even believers, His ears are not open to their prayers. It's amazing to me, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people and and people who are living in, in outright sin, and they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, my relationship with God is just fine. I mean, I've got a good relationship with the Lord. I pray every day. Really? <laughs> Listen, we shouldn't be encouraging uh, unbelievers to pray every day. Because those prayers go no further than the sound of their voice. And friend, if you're living in sin, do you really expect the Lord to hear your cry? There is one prayer he will hear. And that is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer of repentance. A cry for mercy he will hear. So we've got a positive. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But then there is the negative. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The countenance of God. The look of God on your life is against you. That's a scary place to be. To have the face of God turned against you. I want the blessing of God. I want to know that His eyes are upon me in favor. I want to know that the Lord is going to hear my prayers. I want to walk with Him. But let me tell you, if you do not do these things, if this is not the characteristics of your life, then the face of the Lord is against you. You can't live this life on your own. This takes the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to live this. Only a a true child of God, only a Christian, one who has been born again, whose heart has been changed, can even possibly come close to living this life with the help of God. But if you've not been born again, if you're living in sin, the face of the Lord is against you. You will stand at the judgment. You will be condemned. There's two places people go for eternity. We don't mind talking about heaven, but there's also hell. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. If you belong to Him, you've been born again, you've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. His eyes are upon you in favor. And the evidence of that is that you're trying to live a holy life before Him. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. If your life is characterized by following after the lusts of the flesh, whatever your own desires are, the evidence points to the fact that you're probably not a Christian. And you need to be born again. So who would love to love life? And to see good days. We all would. But that has to begin with a relationship with the Lord. And for the rest of your life, surrendering more and more to His will and to His word. Let's all stand. We'll pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It convicts us of sin. Shows us our flaws, our shortcomings, Lord. But it does it so that we may repent and come to you. And turn to you and surrender our lives to you. Lord, if we belong to you, Lord, we welcome that. Show us our sin, God. Show us whatever is in our lives that we need to be rid of, that we may be close to you and walk with you and have intimacy with you. Lord, draw us near that we may love our lives and see good days. That we may truly live the good life. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you. They may live a life of prosperity on earth and and have material blessings and and good health. And they may say, I'm living a good life, Lord, but without you, that life ends as soon as they die and they stand at the judgment. God, I pray that any unbeliever in our presence would repent and come to you for mercy today. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.